Well, I hope you're ready today. I'm going to uh, continue on my message of sin. Mm, everybody loves sin. Well, everybody participates in it. Everybody must like it. <laughs> you got that. <laughs> Did you know there's not a person in the building that hasn't participated in sin? We've all done in this building. Everybody in here has participated in some form of sin. Some say, well, you, you know, mine's not a big sin. Oh, okay, well, it's sin, okay? So whatever it is, it's still sin. And uh, so I wanted to, uh, I'm just going to recap for just a second about uh, kind of what sin is. Today I'm going to answer a few questions. What is sin? Why do I sin? What makes me sin? How does sin affect you and God? Will I go to heaven when I die if I willfully practice sin? And each person will give an account of their sin. So I'm going to address these things um, today in this, in this message. So um, it'll be up next week. Um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of great reviews on sin because nobody sins. Uh, we were talking, I was talking to a, a, a gentleman the other day, and we talked about when people die. Have you noticed when people die, everybody's saved? You ever been to a funeral and said and asked the question, well, did he know the Lord? Oh, yeah. I've never been to a funeral that somebody said, no, they were here and they're going to hell. They were just a sinner. They were just a vile sinner and they're going to hell. I've never been to that. I preach a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot more than I preached. And nobody, nobody ever addresses the sin that humanity has and it's rampant. We've got a skewed view of what Christianity is. And I want to address some of those things today. This is not a popular message because nobody likes to think that they're a sinner. Nobody likes to think that we've sinned this week. And certainly on God's holy day, nobody sinned sitting in the church. Not today. Maybe this afternoon, but thus far I'm good. Man, we have a problem, Amen. So sin, I'm going to give you a secular, somewhat of a secular definition of sin, and then I'm going to dive into some biblical uh, references to sin and what sin is. And as I said last week, sin is violence and lovelessness toward other people and ultimately rebellion against God. The Bible teaches that sin involves a condition in which the heart is corrupted and inclined toward evil. I say it this way, left alone, humanity will sin. Left, apart from God, we're going to gravitate towards sin. It's our nature. It, it, I, I, can't, I can't explain it. I mean, it's like when you, you come into church and you're reading your Bible and everything's going good, and then all of a sudden you get busy and you, get on a, you go on a vacation, you do this and all those things, and none of that's wrong, okay? And, 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 but, but you find yourself pulled back a little bit from God, maybe not doing the reading and the studying and the listening to the worship music you used to and your church attendance is off a little bit and you see all this and you notice if you will take note, you will notice in your own life that you'll start saying and doing things you wasn't doing when you were closer to God. It's just the nature of humanity we tend to want to be bad. But good at the same time. We want to be that good bad. I want to be a Christian, but I want to just do bad. 
I want to do stuff that just makes my flesh feel good. Amen? And that comes in a lot of forms. Sometimes that's in sensual relationships. And sometimes it just makes you feel good to talk about somebody. Come on now. You got most honest fella in the room right there. You just like, yes, I want to, I've been feeling that about them, and you just wanted somebody to agree with you about them. So you, man, that makes me feel good. I don't feel like I was really that wrong because someone else saw it too. Well, just because everybody in here is a sinner, don't mean you ought to do it too. My mother used to and father used to say, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you go and jump off too? I was kind of dumb sometimes. I said, well, how deep's the water? Yeah, how's the bridge, yeah. So <clears throat> we have a tendency as humanity to gravitate toward evil. Uh, James 4.17, uh, somewhat of a biblical definition of sin. James 4.17 says it this way. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Uh-oh. If you know to do good and you don't do it, to you is sin. Now look, a lot of people take that scripture and they twist it and say, see, I get to make up what's good for me as I go along. Negative, wrong answer. Here's the deal. Moral relativism, that's what that's called. When you want to make up the rules as you go along, when you want to say, well, this is good for me, may not be good for you, but I'll do me and you do you. That's moral relativism, and moral relativism is a sin in itself. You don't get to make up the rules. See, when you, when you participate in moral relativism, guess what? You've made yourself equal to God to set the standard of what sin is and what sin is not. Anybody in here equal with God? Quit trying to make up the rules as you go along. You don't make the standard. You have to follow the standard. Amen, preacher, you're doing really good so far. What time are we going to get out? So why do I sin? You ever ask yourself, why do I sin? Has anybody ever asked yourself that question? I've asked myself that question. Why, do I, why did I just do that? Why did, why did I allow myself to do that? We, there's a, a, a bunch of answers Sometimes it is someone else made me do it. If they hadn't have aggravated me, I wouldn't have said that or done that. A lot of times we say, the devil made me do it. What would you say? It don't work. The devil, watch this. Do you understand the devil can't make you do anything and God won't make you do anything? The devil, listen to me. The devil can't make you do one thing. He doesn't have that power. The only time the devil can get to you is when you yield to what he wants you to do. But he can't make you do anything. You can't even make your spouse do something. Sometimes it's not okay to be honest, David. I'm trying to, I got marriage counseling at four tomorrow. No, I'm kidding. But you're right. You, you, the devil can't make you do anything. He cannot. He doesn't have that authority and power. It is only when you relinquish and rebel, watch this, against God that he has authority in your life. And rebellion against God is sin. Any form of rebellion against God is sin. 
Praise the Lord. So why do I sin? And what makes me sin? I have a scripture for that. In uh, James chapter 1. Now look, I'm going to put the burden on you this morning. And, and myself, okay? When I say you, I'm talking about... So I'm going to put the burden on you today. It's not on God. What makes you sin? Why do I sin? It's, it's, it's going to be put on you. So get ready. I want to just... As Ralph says, uh, I'll tell you, go ahead, you, wrong, you bought the wrong shoes today. Those are not steel toes, are they? You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> I'd be sticking them back under there. In James chapter 1, verse 14, now I'm going to read the, this verse and then I'm going, to, I'm going to share it with you again. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed... Watch. Then when his desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Back up to verse uh, 14, please, on the screen. Now let's break this down. Why do I sin? When you are drawn away. From what? What are we drawn away from that makes you sin? Well, I can say with assuredly that if you're in God's word and you're reading his word and you're worshiping God and you're meditating on God, that's not sin. So there's only two forces in this world, good and evil. There's morality and no morality. And morality and goodness comes from God, correct? So if we're in him, and we're drawn away from something. The only thing that can be drawn away from is Christ. And when we get drawn away, we get enticed to do what? Sin. Watch. What makes me sin? When I'm drawn away by my own desires. Do you know that living a Christian life is not only about you, always about you? Somehow we thought coming into the church and it all, all ought to please me. It ought to make me feel good. I should leave good. I should leave lifted up and encouraged, and you should. Most of the time. The problem is the pastors in most churches say that that's all you ought to hear. And we never teach those things that will bring you to a place where you're not going to feel good. Where you're not going to feel like you're worthy. Where you're not going to feel righteous. We, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about those things that pull us away from Christ. We want you to feel good so you'll give more. We want you to feel good so you'll invite somebody to come back and you can see me smile. Amen? But we're going to talk about sin today. So my own desires... I'm going to read James 1, 14 and 15 again. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. In other words, when you're drawn away from what God instructs you to do and you want to uh, do what you want to do. Then when that desire that you wanted to do, when you rebelled against God, he's saying, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You should not participate in that. You should not say that. Don't watch that. Don't go down that road. My desire entices me to do it. He says, you're, when you're drawn away, he says, when that desire has conceived, in other words, when it's birth, when you actually do it, 
Guess what happens then when it gives birth to sin? And sin, when, it is, when it's full grown, in other words, when it's happening, when it's full grown, it brings forth death, sin. Sin is referred to as death in the Bible, not a literal death, but sin, uh, spiritually speaking, will bring death to you. So when we are in Christ, we're doing what Christ wants us to do, and we start um, getting drawn away by our own lust to do the things we want to do that entices our flesh, that satisfies our flesh, come on, then guess what? You start to sin. Had we been close to God and stayed close to God, we wouldn't have been drawn away. See, see, we don't like this because we want to put the blame game on somebody else for making us sin. In a little bit, we're going to learn that that's not a problem. You're the problem. You're responsible for you. Amen. So how does sin affect you and God? You mean my sin affects God? Uh, not necessarily. It affects you more than it does him. But there is an effect that happens between you and God. Uh, let me give you an example. If there was an issue in, uh, between you and your spouse or you and your children and there was a division, it's going to affect the relationship. Hmm. Might be a shorter message than I thought. Remember, Pastor Appreciation next week. <laughs> Banana pudding. Somebody, you know. So, how does sin affect you and God? It creates a division. Nobody raised your hands when I asked this question, but if you're married or have been married, and there was a tiff, you've done something that upset the other person, or vice versa. Was there a division in the relationship? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. Yes, there was a division. And depending upon what was done, there was a great divide. There was this thing called a chasm. You, you ain't getting next to me for the next six weeks. You married folks know what I'm just referred to. There's a division in the relationship. When something goes wrong. So how does this affect us? And Isaiah 59 verse 1 says this about you and your relationship with God. This is what sin does to you. How many of you want to be separated from God? Nobody? Anybody in the balcony? Would you like to be separated from God? Nobody in the building? Really? Are we, are we, are we, really? But we sin. What does sin do? Watch this in Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he, that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Now, I want you to understand this verse first before we get to the next one. The, the, the writer here of Psalms is wanting you to understand that the problem is not on God's end. Watch this. Let's read it again. But behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, that, <clears throat> nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. It is not God's problem that you sinned. God made a way for you to be saved from your sins, to be pulled apart from your sins in Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and he got up out of the grave, okay? 
So the sin problem is not God's problem. He has already done his part to solve the sin problem. So the psalmist is saying, look, I want you to understand it is not God's problem. He's, he's not that he can't save you from it. It's not that, he don't, that his ears shorten, that he can't hear you when you call out to him. But here's the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Sin has created this thing between you and God. And here, let's read verse 2. But your iniquities, we could read it like this, but God's iniquities have separated you from him. Are you reading it? That's not what that says. But that's what we want to think sometimes. It wasn't me. It had to be somebody else. We don't put God in there. We just blame someone else. Take ownership for sin. You sinned, it's yours. Watch, it says, but your iniquities. Whose iniquities? Say mine. Everybody say mine. My sin, my, my iniquities have separated you from God. So we could say it this way. My sin has separated me from God. Now that's not popular preaching. People say, no, you can't be separated from God. Well, somebody's lying. Either you, me, the world, or the Bible. Because the Bible, I just read that our iniquities, our sin separates us from God. That's what the Bible says. There is a separation. God didn't move, however. God did not move. He's right here. But when you sin, there's a division, according to Scripture, between you and God. It says it is separated, and how does it separate? Watch this. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If you're practicing sin, I hear people tell me this. Oh, I've been, you, you know they're practicing sin. They'll tell you they're practicing sin. Oh, and I've been praying to Jesus. He's been speaking to me. Not according to Scripture. He's not been hearing you. He will hear you when you repent. But he's not hearing your general everyday prayer if you're in sin. That's what the Bible says. He will not hear you. Your sin separates you that he turns his face from you and he does not hear you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Quiet in the Pentecostal church today. Sin. We like it. But we don't want the consequence of it. We're living in one of the greatest days of, I don't even know if this is a word, but I'm going to make it up as I go. Falsivity of falseness. We think we're Christians. We go to church and yet we participate in sin willingly. I'm not talking about a mistake, a stumble, a, 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 a hiccup in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. We willfully participate in sin, but we think we're good. And the Bible says, I don't even, God doesn't even hear you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have to have a break here. We should have brought popcorn this morning so everybody have something to do. Because there's some stillness in this church today. So how does sin affect you and God? It creates the division and it separates you from God according to Scripture. He's ready to, for you to reach out to him at any given time and say, Lord, forgive me of that. I repent of that. 
says his hand's not too short, his ear's not too, that he won't hear you, but you, he wants you to reach out to him. Otherwise, if you practice sin, he turns from it. Praise the Lord. If my wife, somebody, is my wife in here? She took the baby out. Okay. Might want to have her run and get, her, get the car cranked up. <clears throat> Amen. Will I go to heaven when I die if I willfully practice sinful acts? Nobody addresses this. Nobody wants to tackle that question. I'm just an ignorant, <laughs> crazy preacher that will address it. You can let it fall where you want to. I love you. Watch this. If I'm wrong in this, you ain't lost a thing. If I'm wrong and you're right on your belief system, okay. But if I'm right and you're wrong, you lose everything. Watch. Hebrews 10, 26, for we have... For if we sin willfully, listen to the wording. If we sin willfully, if we sin, everybody say willfully. willfully. Let's say it this way. If I want to go sinning, say it with me. If I want to go sinning, that's willful sinning. If I want to, okay, watch this. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, Watch this, but a, verse 27, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Let's back up and dive into the meat. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, let me give you the basis for this scripture. When, when this was written, um, the, the, the writer is addressing a group of Hebrews that have found Christ. Okay, they found Christianity. Remember, Christianity is coming on the scene. All they've known is Judaism uh, to, to the most degree. And he says, once you find the true knowledge of Christianity, of Christ, him, him being crucified and resurrected, once you find that and you go back to a different religion, a Judaism, if you will, you go back to that. He said, then there's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice remains for you. You've rejected God. When you reject God, you don't receive God. When you reject God, you're not part of God. He's not part of you. So he says, when you've come to this knowledge and then you reject God, guess what? Here's your expectation. Here's what you can expect. Verse 27. But, but you won't expect a, uh, a fearful expectation of judgment. A fear. You're all going to be judged. Do you understand that? But you don't, do you understand, as a blood-bought, born-again Christian, you don't have to fear judgment? Do, do you understand? You don't have to fear judgment. I don't fear judgment. I'm blood-bought, born again. I'm going to be judged for everything I do. We'll learn that in a minute. But I'm not fearful of judgment. I'm not thinking, oh, I hope I get in. Ooh, I hope I get in. Man, I hope I get in. No, I'm going to get in. I'm blood-bought, born again. Do I stumble and make mistakes? Yes. Do I willfully sin? No. I don't willfully sin. I sin. I don't mean to. 
you're going to sin. It's going to happen. It's the willful sin. It's that willful sin that says here in Scripture that there's no more a sacrifice for me than that sacrifice. Now, let's look at it metaphorically, if you will, spiritually. Let's look at it New Testament style, if you will. Jesus dies on the cross. That's the sacrifice for sins. Um, if, if you look at the whole system of sacrifices, it started in the Old Testament. Once a year, the, the head of the family would come, and they would offer for, for the forgiveness of sins for the whole year for the family, okay? So that's where the sacrifice started. And, and the New Testament says that Jesus is that sacrifice. You don't have to go every year, okay? When you get blood-bought, born again, truly, he is your sacrifice. But if you reject that and you willfully sin... Guess what? There is an expectation of your judgment that's going to be fearful. Amen. You want me to answer the question, don't you? Will I go to heaven when I die if I willfully practice sin? You really want me to answer it, don't you? No. I got some verses I'm fixing to prove to you. New Testament, in case you're hung up in New Testament only. Willful sin separates you from God. Willful sin keeps God from hearing you. Willful sin will land you in eternity in hell. Praise the Lord. Watch this. Stay with me. Don't tune me out yet. I've been praying for the last two or three days. Lord, don't let them close their ears before I get finished. Because there's hope. There's hope. Galatians 5.19 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What sins? What part of you sins? My flesh. My flesh sins. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, listen to these. They're in your Bible as well. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. You playing with witchcraft? Come on. If you play with witchcraft, that's a sin. If you, if, you're, if you hang out with people that practice witchcraft, watch out. We don't like, we don't like talking about witchcraft. That's, that's somewhere over in a third world country, somewhere else. That's not here in America. Baloney. Hatred. Uh-oh. Now we're getting right to the house. Contentions. Jealousies. I sinned a long time right here. And this outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions, heresies, envious, murders. No, nobody murdered in here. Not physically, but boy, we sure have a great uh, way of stabbing someone's spirit till it's dead. Drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. In other words, oh, this is just a short list. This is the short list. There's a longer list. 
You keep studying, you keep believing, you keep getting in God's word, you'll find there's more things. So, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, in other words, he said, I've already told you this. He says, just as I also told you in times past that those, watch this, who practice such things will get to go right on into heaven and be there with Jesus forever. It's not what it says. It says, if you practice those things, you will not, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Practice. When you practice those things, when you willfully do those things, that's the same word. When you willfully do those things, you practice, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. My toes are hurting. Next set of scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I want you to pick up on a phrase in just a minute. I'm going to point it out to you, but you, you, you need to catch this. How many of you know? Well, let me just. Verse Corinthians 6, 9 says, Do you not know that the, right, that the, unrighteous, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? what the Bible says. And then there's this little phrase that says, do not be deceived. I think so many people are deceived when it comes to the practice of sin that they got saved when they were four and they, they haven't attended church. They hadn't been in church. They, they don't practice godliness in any way or holiness. And somehow they think that they're, they just got a free ticket in. That's not what scripture indicates at all. Scripture indicates that you must be holy as he is holy. And if, you, if you're out doing all those crazy things for 25 years, you're really not saved because the Bible teaches that there's going to be fruit from your life if you're a blood-bought, born-again child of the king. There's going to be some things that people are going to see that's going to be different from the world. And you cannot be deceived to say, I can do all of this and make some mamby-pamby prayer, never be serious about getting next to God and worshiping God and never attend church and never participate in the things of God in kingdom building and think that you're saved. That is foolishness. That is stupidity at its highest. The Bible says that you are deceived. He says, do not be deceived. Watch. Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortions will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, church, I feel the love in the house, okay? But I'm already out here. I'm just going to go on. You, listen to me, according to scripture, you cannot be practicing these things that scripture has, we've just read. Practice those things. I'm not talking about getting saved today and working through some things. That's not what I'm talking about. Do not misunderstand me. Because how many of you got saved and you still dealt with some of those things in the past as you worked some, that, that salvation and that sanctification out? How many of you know that? How many of you know that you're still going to be working on some things? That's not what I'm talking about. Stay with me. 
But if you practice, continually practice these things, there is no such thing as a Christian homosexual. It's impossible. I'm not talking about somebody that's a homosexual that gets saved and still struggles with some things as they walk. That's not what what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody that says, oh, I'm a Christian. They're not trying to do it, but I'm calling myself a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and a homosexual at the same time. It goes against God's word. You can't be a habitual liar and be a Christian at the same time. You can't be a hater and be a Christian at the same time. You can't have jealousy up in your heart and built in your heart and be a Christian at the same time. I'm not talking about dealing with things in your life. I'm not talking about working this thing out, okay? Please understand me. Don't leave here and say, well, the pastor said there's just no hope for me. Oh, I've got scripture for that in a minute. There's hope for you. What I'm telling you is you can't willfully practice sin and say that I'm a child of the king. Oh, you can say it, but it don't mean anything. I can tell you that I'm a multimillionaire, but it don't mean one thing. Man, I love you. Because, see, I run the risk of you not liking me for preaching this. I run the risk of you wanting to, and, and it's okay. I'm, I'm welcome, we're welcome to debate on this. Because you're not debating me, you've got to figure it out. I'm going to tell you what the word says. I run the risk of you being upset and not liking me and leaving the church. My objective is not for you to like me. You hear me? My objective here when I preach is for you to get the word of God. I'll get you to love me afterwards. I'll like on you because I want you to like me. I just don't care that you like me here. If it goes against our relationship, if I preach the truth, then the truth has to supersede our relationship and our likeness, okay? You understand what I'm saying? I I do love you, and that's why I preach these messages. So, hallelujah. Each person will give an account for their sins. I don't have to account for my wife's sins. Praise the Lord. A bigger praise is she don't have to account for mine. I can't get in on my mama's prayers. I can't get in on my wife's goodness or how wonderful the people are in this church. I can't get in on your goodness because I was your pastor. No, no, no. I've got to give an account for me, and you have to give an account for you individually. And you can, we can play the blame game and say, if it hadn't been for that person, I'd still be in church. Or if it hadn't been for that person, I'd love the Lord more. If it hadn't been for this, if, if my wife or husband hadn't left me, I'd, I would be in a better position with God. Baloney. No, my relationship is based on me and God, not me and them and God. Now, the relationship here should be based on you and God and them, but, but my relationship is with God alone. And when I get this right, then this will be right. 
if you're in here and I've ever done marriage counseling with you prior to marriage or even afterwards, I draw a triangle on a piece of paper, just like this, and I put your name on one side and the spouse's name on the other side, and right at the top I put God. And these, as the triangle goes up, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to your spouse. But it's never about you and your spouse. It's about you and your relationship with God and their relationship with God. Unfortunately, so many times, one of the two parties don't want to go toward God. And that not only separates a relationship spouse, but it also re- separates a relationship with, you and God, with them and God. Oh, praise the Lord. Romans 14 and 11 says this, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord. Now this is the Lord saying this, because it just said, As I live, says the Lord. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Everything you do, you will stand in judgment for with, when you get in front of God. Everything you've done. There's nobody going to escape God's judgment. It's impossible. You're not so holy that you won't have to bow before the king. You're not, you're not that righteous. Even the most vile sinner with pride built up in his heart is going to bow before the king. And he's going to give an account for everything he's ever done or said. That's strong, church. I don't know, I don't know if you do like me, but when I read stuff like this, I start thinking about, oh, Lord Jesus. I've done a lot of good stuff, I mean, uh, bad stuff in my life. But all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes up and says, yeah, but you're forgiven of that. Don't worry about that part. Then it helps me to think about how I need to react to certain situations or people or things in the future. Because I'm going to give an account for every time I talk negative about my wife. We have adult discussions, by the way. I know you all don't. But sometimes you say things you didn't mean to say three seconds after it came out of your mouth. And you didn't mean to say it, but I still got to give an account for it. That thing that I did that nobody knew that I was doing a certain way to manipulate somebody because I didn't really like them. Do you know the Lord saw that? When no one else saw it, and guess what? You're going to have to give an account for that. Boy, this is real life preaching, teaching right here. Right at the house, right down where we, mm. Matthew 12, 36 reiterates what Romans 14, 11 says. It says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Makes me think of that little saying, you got, Two ears and one mouth means you ought to listen twice as much as you speak. My mama used to tell me, boy, you need to start thinking before you start speaking. My wife still helps me with that quite a bit. Hunter helps me with that. I asked, some of y'all know this story. I said, hey, a couple of years back, I said, can we go live with the live stream? He said, nope. (laughs) It didn't even get out of my lips good. He said, nope. 
Well, inquired minds want to know why he would be so quick to say that, Matt. Why not? He said, you say too much stuff, we got to edit. Mm -mm." (laughs) Y'all don't even know. If my wife was sitting in here and y'all think she's texting sometimes, she is texting. She's texting Hunter and say, take that out. Take that. Edit this. Edit this. Edit that. (laughs) We don't need that. Y'all thought this was all just fun, everything's good. He just posts that up there on the internet and everything goes just fine. Yeah, right. (laughs) He spends about four or five hours a week probably editing this stuff so that it is appropriate. Now, he don't take out the meat now. He's not going to take out this stuff I'm talking about, some of this good stuff about sin. He's not going to take that out, just some of that other stuff. So we're going to give an account for everything that we do. Lee, will you come to the piano? Man, I'm just... It's, it's 11.44, glory to God. Been so good, you, you, you just, it just, went, just flew by. But I want you to know this. No matter how you believe about what I've talked about this morning, whether you contradict some scriptural things and you can bring up this scripture and that scripture to, to roll over this one and wash this one out and all that stuff, here's what I do know. That when you get saved, truly saved, blood-bought, born again, and you realize that Jesus Christ has forgiven you and saved you from your past, when you, when you realize that, you're going to want to change. You're going to want to live right. So don't get hung up on your beliefs. It, here's the deal. If you, if you get right with Christ... Know that you have forgiveness of sins and there is mercy and grace that will extend to you when you're willfully going after God. But if you willfully reject Him and say, I don't want Him anymore, I want to get rid of Him in my life, and you go back, you really wasn't saved. I got married to my wife over 32 years ago. Praise the Lord, she's good to me. At some point in that marriage, and by the way, just so I can put you at ease, we've had adult discussions, many of them. But not one night in 32 plus years, not one night have we ever spent the night away from each other in a different, under a different roof mad at each other because I'm a little slow but I got enough sense to know that God put her in my life and she keeps me grounded and so I'm going to get that right amen so I want to clarify that but if at any point in my marriage say two years into my marriage if I said we've never been separated none of that okay none of that I'm not bragging on us. I'm just bragging on us because God's been good to her. He's given her mercy and grace for me, okay? I'm telling you, I'm I'm worth kicking to the curb. You hear me? I've been worth kicking to the curb like a shot rabbit crazy. But at one, two years into my marriage, if I'd have went in and we're, we're married and I said, you know what, honey? I'm done with you. I'm I'm out. I'm done. Here, you need these papers. Here's these papers. I need you to sign these papers because we're done. I'm not in love with her. I'm done. 
I reject her. I reject her affection. I'm rejecting her wisdom, her knowledge. I'm rejecting everything that she has brought to the table. I reject that. We get a divorce and I walk away. I am no longer married to her. I'm not. Now I can walk around with divorce papers in my back pocket recorded at the courthouse that we are no longer married. Be making alimony, child support, and all the other things. Be paying for the house that I used to live in. And, and I can walk up to someone and say, yeah, me and my, we're, we're married. What? Yeah, I'm married to Tina. Knowing I got divorce papers in my pocket. Knowing divorce is final. No, I'm not married to her. We're divorced. I rejected her. She didn't want it. I wanted to get a divorce, so we rejected. I rejected her. I am no longer married to that woman. But yet, when it comes to Christ, we reject Christ. We got divorce papers in our back pocket called sin that we willfully want to go do. And then somebody says to you, oh, I'm a great believer. I love Jesus. But I saw you drunk at the bar the other night. And the woman you were with wasn't your wife. Could you be a Christian and still do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a Christian. So stupid, isn't it? That's the dumbest thing ever. But yeah, we believe that we can do those things and still be in right relationship with God and everything's just fine. Everything's good. God's good with us. He, he just winks at us. You're good. No, you're not good. You're not good. God is ready to receive you. He's like, son or daughter, come back to me. I love you. I don't want you to leave. I never wanted you to leave my presence. I never wanted you to go and do this. But come back to me. You must come back. Say, Lord, I repent of my sins. That's not anything you want to play with at judgment. Why would you want to play with that at judgment? Why would you want to hope that happens? Why don't you just stay with God? Why don't you just live for God? Why don't you give Him everything that you have? Why don't you just say, God, I surrender to you? And why don't we just make sure? Praise the Lord. There is hope as I close. Not that there's hope that I'm closing. I am closing, but there's hope. Isaiah 55, 7 says this. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon that's what the Lord does. He abundantly, he'll pardon you of your sins. Man, that, that's great hope to me that I've been pardoned of my sins, that I've turned from my wickedness, I've turned from my unrighteousness, and he pardons me. That's the God you serve. That's the God that loves you that much. It says you were a wayward person, but now if you come to me, 
First time or 20th time. You can be saved. You can be saved. Romans 10, 9 says it this way. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. You will be saved. Goes on to say that with the mouth, the confession is made. And one believes in the heart. As we stated in, in the beginning, that this sin is a heart condition. But if you believe in your heart, you can be saved. You know why the church doesn't look any different than the world? Because there's as much sin in the church and nobody addresses it that's in the world. Did you hear what I said? There's as much sin in the church that goes unaddressed in the church as there is out there. There's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in the Lord. There's refuge in the Lord. There's a hope of one day that we're going to stand before Him. And I'm not going to be ashamed because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. I've had mercy covered me and blanket me. I've had grace that blankets me. I'm not going to be ashamed of where I've been because of his mercy and his grace. I challenge you today. Let's start looking at our sin. Let's start looking in the mirror and start with me and say, Lord, what is it that I need to fix? What is it, Lord, that, that you're unhappy with in my life? I, I'm here to tell you, people say, oh, you get saved, he's happy with everything you do. That's baloney. He's not happy with everything man does. Well, you're forgiven, but he's not happy with you. He loved the children of Israel and brought them out of Israel. Got out there and they got to complain and he said, I'm going to kill all of them. I'm going to kill everybody. Moses said, Lord, you can't do that. He said, I, yeah, I'm God, I can't do. I can do what I want to. He said, but, but Lord, that's going to look bad on you. If you bring them out here just to kill them, what's these other people going to think about? He didn't kill everybody then. A little bit later, he did. Thing called a flood. God is not happy when you sin, saved or not saved. Did you hear me? Mike, my, my, God is not happy when we sin, saved or not saved. He's not happy. He, he's, not a, he's not okay with that. He, he's not okay if you're trying and you sin. He, 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 he's. He'll forgive you, but he's not okay with it. He wants you to be righteous. He wants you to be holy as he is holy. And until you get to his holiness, you've got some work to do, and he's just not happy with your sin. He loves you. He wants you. He desires to have fellowship with you.
But there is hope. Please don't say, I'm not good enough and I, 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 there's no need me to come to these altars. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not that good. That's where we have to fall on the mercies of God. Because there's not a one in this room, me at the front of the line, can say I'm good enough. We have to fight that devil every day. It says, you did that, you're, you're not even saved. You did that, and you're supposed to be the pastor. I say, yeah, but I'm blood-bought. Praise God, I'm blood-bought. I'm forgiven. I've got grace and mercy. Praise God. I'm going to try not to do that later. Where, where's Jacques? Where are you at? One of the sayings that I've, Jacques going to take back home to South Africa is that I'm better today than I was yesterday, and I'm not as good as I want to be tomorrow, right? I told him that, and he said, i got to write that down. You know where that was birthed? There's only one person that knows where that's birthed, and that's Jacques. But I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to close, where that phrase in my life was birthed. As many of you know, I used to have outbursts and fits of anger. That's one of the things we read And I remember on the farm one day, I had an outburst of anger. And I made my baby girl cry. That really don't happen too much with me. Because I didn't like what she was doing, driving that tractor that she really hadn't been driving that long. And she... I flung that door open after an anger and run out in front of her and stopped the tractor, flung that door open. And I said, Rusty, I said, what are you doing? Tears began to come down her face. And she said, Dad, you've been doing this all your life. And I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying. You can just do it yourself. She climbed off that tractor and started walking to that truck. And all of a sudden, it felt like the Holy Spirit with a two-by-four hit me in the back of my back. And on my shoulders and just I mean I felt it the truck was probably from here to that wall she's halfway there I ran and jumped in front of her on my knees in the middle of a field grabbed her with tears down my face at this time and said it'll never happen again and out of that was birthed I'm, I'm better than I was yesterday but I'm not as good as I want to be tomorrow. And I apply that across the board to my life. I'm not as good a Christian as I want to be tomorrow, but I'm better than I was yesterday. And that gives me hope that as long as he's on the throne, and I'm here to tell you, he's on the throne, I've got hope that I'm going to be better tomorrow. And I'm going to keep looking for that blessed assurance, that blessed hope that he can save me. He can sanctify me. He can get me through the worst times of my life. He can get me through sin. He can help me overcome outbursts of wrath. Did it fix everything that day? No, it did not. But my wife, praise God, will tell me, you're so much better than you was last year. You remember if that happened to you five years ago? How, what kind of fit and rage you'd have been in? Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. 
Come on, praise the Lord because he's worthy. And he can help you with the same thing. Whatever your issue is, I know I'm being vulnerable up here. But I'm just like you. You're just like me. You deal with things. Maybe yours is different. Maybe you're a liar. Maybe you just love to lie. Maybe lie just fits better. Come on, there's people like that. I know people like that. I knew somebody was close to me. They could lie to you, and it was so good, Ralph, you'd believe it. If you walked out right now, they said, man, it's coming a thunderstorm outside right now. Looking at to say, well, the sun's shining. No, I'm telling you, the clouds, it's raining, man. It's thunder and lightning. They're so good at lying, you'd say, better go check that out. Better go roll up my windows. You know it's sun shining. They're that good of a liar. Come on now. You got jealousy in your heart? You hiding sin? Are you hiding sin? Did you think nobody sees? Are you hiding jealousy in your heart? Are you hiding contentions in your heart? Nobody can see those. We think that's not sin because nobody can see them. That's just mine. Just me. That's just me. I can hide this and God don't even see this. I can. It's in, inside. It's suppressed. That's not true. Stand with me across the building. It's 12 o'clock. I should have already let you go. But I wasn't finished. <laughs>